Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. All right, are you ready for the word? We're in John chapter 20. Today I'll be reading from verse 11 down to verse 18. And we're going to watch Mary Magdalene as she she comes out to the tomb the second time and uh, finds she's she's there alone and she stands there weeping. And we're going to see the lesson that she learned and we're going to learn the lesson with her. So Holy Spirit, we need to see Jesus we ask for eyes that are, are, are seeing him, that open up to him. Lord, we pray for ears that can hear you and hearts that are soft and tender and full of faith. I pray for the grace, Lord, to, to get out of the way, as it were, and let us see you and behold you. You are our life, even as we think of those who, who are passing now and who've stepped across even this week. That eternal life that you have brought us is everything. We are so grateful to you. So grateful that you rose from the dead. So grateful that you broke the power of death and you took us with you. I ask that faith would fill this room tonight. That we would go confident and bold knowing that eternal life is ours in Jesus Christ. And we ask for that. I pray for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Here we go. I'll start at verse 11 down to verse 18. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. Why don't you say she was outside the tomb weeping? And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Who does she think they are? Religious leaders, yeah. Who, who did all of that. They, 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 she thinks they've come in and taken the body. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Say, why are you weeping? Are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Why don't we say that? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, She said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, now I I, I so wish I knew exactly how he said it. Mary, or Mary, or I, I don't, Mary. She turned around and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father. Let's say that. My Father and your Father. My God and your God. Let's say that. My God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. As Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, it it, It had already started. The miracle had begun. The first child had been born into the huge eternal family that the father had always desired. 
The devil had tried to stop it, and for a time it appeared he had succeeded. He tempted human creatures to sin, and they, they did, and their sin would surely hold them in the grave. But now one had escaped. He had been sinless, so death couldn't hold him in its grip. And when he arose, a secret was revealed. Before anything was created, God had decided that all who believed in this sinless one would be spiritually joined to him. So that when he escaped death, he would carry with him out of the, carry them with him out of the grave. When, when God decided to create the worlds, one of the principles that he put into place was that he would allow someone by faith to be joined spiritually to some. So that when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, we literally become spiritually joined to him. And the Bible compares it to a marriage. It's we, as though we become one flesh with Jesus Christ. We are married to Jesus, as it were. So when he, when he dies, and we by faith put our, put our faith in him, we die with him. When he rises, we rise with him. And when he ascends into heaven, we ascend with him. Yeah. But Mary didn't know that. She thought he was still dead, so she wept bitterly. She thought everything had ended, but it hadn't. It had just begun. I want to take you back through this. After reporting to Peter and John, Mary Magdalene apparently carried her news to other loca locations. So if you recall, she comes out there to the tomb uh, at the first light, no sooner do you have uh, situations where you can't see three stars or whatever. You, it's now just the first real light of dawn is, is this group of women. It's a whole group, not just her. Uh, you've got Mary Magdalene. You've got Mary, mother of James and Joseph. Uh, that's probably Jesus' aunt through, through Joseph, or his father, his stepfather. Uh, you have uh, Joanna. You have Salome, uh, his, his, uh, Mary, his mother's sister, uh, and, who, and even other women, it sort of says in one place. How many? I don't know. So you have a group of women coming out first thing in the morning. Uh, what were they there for? They were there to anoint that body. They, wanted, they were discussing on the way, how are we going to get that tomb open so that we can get in there? And they wanted to anoint the body with perfume and they brought spices, so they, I wonder if they wanted to rewrap it. I mean, which is an interesting concept. Uh, it, the two men that did it, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, may have done a poor job. Uh, they were in a hurry. Uh, and it, it's a high priority in that culture to bury the dead properly. Yeah, it's a high matter of respect and of love. And so who knows what happened, but they, they, they were coming out with, some, with perfume and with spices, and they were going to, to finish caring for, for Jesus. Do they expect a res resurrection? Not in the slightest. There's not even a cross, nothing's crossing their mind that there's a resurrection. So they're coming out and going to, to bury him properly. Uh, when they first get there, they come into this garden and saw that the door was open. The, the, the stone had been uh, put back. The door was open, and Mary jumped to conclusions instantly. She saw that, and she thought, they've done it. Those religious leaders came and took the body. And she turns on her heel and goes right back uh, into the city and finds Peter and John and goes and tells them and says, they've taken the body. And I don't know, I don't know where they put it. Um, 
What happens then, though, is, is the group of women that were with her, they didn't leave. Uh, m most of them stayed there, and then they moved their way on over to the open door and peeked in. And they saw the angel. And then the angel says, who are you seeking? You know? and, and they have a conversation with him. They then head back to the city to tell everyone. And on the way, Jesus meets them. And their first response was to fall down, grab his feet, and, and worship. And, uh, he's, and he, uh, he said, now you tell my disciples that I'm going to meet them all in, in Galilee. If they will go to the Galilee, I will meet them all. And so they head back. Mary doesn't know any of this. She has seen the open tomb. She is head, headed back, told uh, Peter and John. And then apparently went some other places. Uh, at one point it says uh, they told everybody, that kind of thing. So she probably went several places saying the tomb is empty, oh my, you know, this kind of thing. And then she walked her way back to the tomb. Peter and John had already been there. They'd already looked inside and had the discussion that we talked about. And uh, so she stands outside alone, just mourning. In her, her mind, this is horrible. What a terrible moment. Not only was her Lord crucified, not only did he go through just the most awful uh, series of events the day before, or the, two days ago, but now he has been stolen. His corpse has been removed, disgraced, and, and dumped somewhere. And so she's just heartsick. As she stood weeping outside the tomb, all she knew was that the tomb had been opened and the body was gone. At some point, she approached the door, leaned forward, and peered inside. And what she saw must have startled her. Two angels sitting on the stone platform where Jesus' body had been placed. One at the head and one at the feet. It's interesting to note that when John describes what Mary saw, he does not mention the linen wrappings. Remember those? Which he, which he mentioned repeatedly when he described what he and Peter saw when they looked inside. Instead, he says the angels were sitting on either end of where the body of Jesus had been lying. It's possible the wrappings were already gone. The angels asked Mary, why are you weeping? And she answered, they removed my Lord and I don't know where they put him. Then something caused her to turn around. She may have heard a noise or the angels may have lifted their eyes to look at someone behind her. Because Mary turned around and saw there was a man standing behind her. But at first, she did not recognize that it was Jesus. In that culture, a woman would have avoided making eye contact with a strange man. So Mary would have looked, quickly looked away. However, based on other passages where the resurrected Jesus is not immediately recognized. Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, I remember there one of those that says that when he was in the Galilee, people came to see him. And many believed and some doubted. I'm not sure that's him. You know, what, what, what is this? We may be also be seeing evidence that his resurrected body was noticeably changed from the mortal body which his disciples had, in which they had known him. He had been resurrected, not resuscitated. What's the difference? Tell me the difference. What's, if I, what's the difference between resuscitated and resurrected? Resuscitate, who, who is, name somebody that was resuscitated. Lazarus. There's some others in there, by the way. How about Jairus' daughter? You've had, well, he raised some people from the dead. Did they die again? Yeah. yeah, they didn't come back in a resurrected body. They came back in a mortal body. Up they came, and they felt a lot better. And 
they lived a while and then they died again. Yeah. What's, the, what's a resurrected body? What distinguishes a resurrected body? It is eternal. It's made out of, it's made out of a whole, Paul says, a whole new stuff. He says that it's, it's the difference of your flesh is like the difference between the flesh of a fish or, a, or I forget which other animals he used, birds. He says there's different flesh for different animals and there's, and there's a different flesh that will be part of your resurrection body. Amen. Isn't that nice? And, and it will be, he says, a glorious body. Now, I'm not going to ask for any hands, but how many of you think you have one now, you know? Uh, <laughs> right. So, um, my, yeah. uh, how many would be really glad to know that the next one looks better than, than this one? Yes. You see where I'm going with this. He has... He, he has he had been resurrected, not resuscitated. His scars were still there. Does that mean all of our scars will be there? I doubt it. I think his scars are there because they're glorious. How many want to see his scars? I, I do. You know, can I, you know, I just, you know, it's just, those are beautiful. Uh, but maybe they'll be there. But this was not simply his old body, now alive again. Paul speaks about this change in the nature of a resurrected body in his letter to the Corinthians. He says the substance of uh, the new immortal flesh is different in, in its appearance. It is for, and it's in its appearance, it's far more glorious. Jesus asked Mary the same question the angels asked. Woman, why are you weeping? And then he added, whom are you seeking? She thought he was the groundskeeper and wondered if perhaps Joseph of Arimathea's family had changed their minds about putting a stranger in their family tomb. And it moved the body to another location. If so, she would, if, if he would just tell her where he had put it, she would be happy to come and take it away. This is a broken-hearted woman. During that conversation, Mary would not have looked at him, but would have politely looked away. But then he suddenly spoke her name. He called, he called Mariam. And she turned, recognized him, and in Hebrew said, Rabboni, which, which John translates for those who don't know Hebrew as teacher. Then Jesus told Mary to stop clinging to him. John doesn't tell us how she reacted when she realized Jesus was alive, but apparently she responded the same way the other group of women responded when they saw him. They bowed down and grabbed his feet. Jesus told her that she didn't need to do that. I have not yet gone up to the Father. He meant it was not time for him to physically rise up into heaven. She didn't need to hold on to him. He wasn't leaving yet. He was in transition. In fact, he would remain with them for 40 days. Finally, he instructed Mary to tell his brothers, the disciples, I go up to my father and your father, my God and your God. Notice that I go up. It's in the present. By putting that statement in the present tense saying, in effect, I am going up, rather than the future tense, I will go up, he was telling them that the change in his nature and position had already taken place. He was already in his glorious resurrected state. He was already the firstborn of a new race of humans. He had already received all authority in heaven and on earth and spiritually, and he was already seated in heaven at the Father's right hand. Amen. These realities weren't 
still being withheld, waiting for him physically to rise into heaven. They were his now. And then Jesus added the most wonderful statement. He described God in such a way as to announce to all who would become his disciples that because of his cross and resurrection, his relationship with the Father had now become our relationship with the Father. His Father had become our Father. Jesus had been able to call God Father because he was God's only begotten divine Son. But that morning, he told Mary to tell his disciples that the intimacy and privilege that he had with the Father by nature was now theirs by adoption. Because they had joined themselves to him by faith, they were with him as he went through his death and resurrection, and now they would rise with him as he took his place of privilege beside the Father. Remember Paul, where Paul says, we are seated now in, heaven, seated now in heavenly places with Christ? Just as you were joined with him in his death, that is your death spiritually. As far as the devil is concerned, the law is concerned, as far as God's concerned, yes, this body still has to fall off, but your de- that was your death. And when you rose with him, you and I have now also risen with him. We are in him as he's seated in heavenly places of Christ, and so are we. He, this, we're married we're married. You, you, if in, in this state, are we a joint property kind of state? You get married. What, what you had was his, was, is his or hers. You understand? So you, everything, you own it together. There's that sense in this. That when we come to Christ, that which is his also becomes ours. This is, all, this is an amazing concept. So his position, his authority. So he says, my father is yours. He's as much yours now and loves you as a father and would care for you as a father as much as he cares for me. Then he says, my God is your God. We'll see what that means. they They were created beings, not divine. We are, they are humans. Yet through faith in him, these disciples had now full privileges as God's children, just as though they were Jesus himself. That's why John put these words in the opening to his gospel. Why don't you read read this with me? But as many as received him, he gave to them the right, freedom, authority to act, to become children of God, to those believing into his name, the true name which the Father gives to his son Jesus, who were born not of blood, parents passing on physical life to their child, nor by the will of the flesh, a conception that resulted from sexual desire, nor by the will of man, humans deciding to have a child, but by the will of God. You and I have, been, have now been, been made children of God uh, by the will of God, by being joined to the, his, the Son of God, we become the Son of God. Those who believe on his name. What is his name? It's Jesus. It's, it, and, and, you know, I think if I were going to say what his name is, how about this? Behold my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Those who believe what the Father says about him, what the Father announces who he says he is. I believe that. Do you believe that? If we believe that, 
then he has become uh, he has become ours and we have become children of God. After declaring that his father was our father, Jesus also said that his God was our God. That is a very important statement. Though Jesus is divine and therefore God, deserving to be worshipped and honored as God, he never tried to take the Father's place in our hearts. He never diminished the honor and authority that belonged to the Father alone. The Father is the one who begot the Son and commanded him to speak all creation into existence. He is the source of everything good. All life, physical and spiritual, is sustained by him and exists for, for him. Paul described him this way. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Shall we say that? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It, it's, as I've gone through the Gospel of John, I've, I've seen something. Um, I, you know, when you get taught the nature of, of, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, lots of terms are used trying to give equal place to each person of, of the Trinity. And so we, we say, um, he, the, Jesus is co-equal, he's co-eternal, he's co- you know, all these kinds of things. And, and and so by the time you're done, there's, um, well, you, you can't figure out which is which. But when you read the Gospel of John, you don't come away with that confusion. It becomes quite apparent that Jesus is the divine Son of God, that he was from the beginning. But when you listen to Jesus, every time he honors his Father yes. and never supplants him, Never tries to take, uh, as a sense, never tries to, to push him out and say, I'm, I'm in now. He never does that. Uh, in fact, you say, how do we pray? He says, pray this, our Father. He turns us right to him. And yet he is the Son. He is divine. And it was through him he spoke the worlds into, the being, into being. He's, he, he's got the goods. What's amazing is there's humility and, and, and submission even in the, in the very nature of the, of, the, of, of the Son and the Father. It's a beautiful thing, which is why then Paul will say, if this is the way Jesus was, then how should we be in terms of submitting ourselves and humbling ourselves and preferring others? He says we, we should learn from him. So Jesus sent Mary Magdalene to announce to his disciples that he had not yet departed for heaven, but he had already ascended into his new position. And all the new era had, begin, had begun. When the time came for him to physically leave the earth, he would be going to the one who was not only his father and God, but through him had now become their father and God. So do you get the picture? He says, you go to my disciples and you tell them, I'm going to my father and theirs. I'm going to my God and theirs. Do you hear it? Do you feel the impact of it? The, the, what the, my father and my God is now your father and your God. I have risen. I've broken the power of death. I have the name above every name. I, and you are in me. He's your father. He's your God. Do you believe that? Yeah. 
they now had the same relationship with the father that he had. And they would be given the same resources that God had given him during his earthly ministry. He is, his, he is our God. He is our resource. He is, our, he is, he is all, all those things for us. Which is why in the next section we're going to read, you'll hear, you'll hear Jesus say, As the Father sent me, so send I you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Remember this? And then he says, that He whose sins you retain shall be retained. And he whose sins you remit shall be remitted. And he begins to empower us to, to do pastoral ministry in his name. Mary's example. Did you notice that when Mary peered into the tomb, the angels asked her why she was weeping? And the first thing Jesus did was to ask her the same question. There are all sorts of good reasons to weep, ranging from pain to sorrow to joy. So they weren't telling her to stop weeping. They were asking her to explain what caused her tears. And the answers she gave them revealed that she didn't know what had happened. She thought the cross was the end. She thought Jesus was still dead. And that his body had been shamefully removed and dumped somewhere. She wept because she didn't know the truth. If she had known it, she would have rejoiced. And as soon as she did, she fell to the ground and worshipped. Mary's experience at that tomb becomes a powerful example to us. Her tears help us understand our tears. They teach us to ask ourselves, why am I weeping? Would you ask that with me? Why am I weeping? Yeah. Why, do, why do we weep? There are seasons when weeping is necessary. And even healing. When, for example, a loved one passes away, even though we may be sure in our heart where that person has gone, we still have been left behind to live out our days without the joy, love, and care that person brought to us. How many have lost a dear loved one? Raise them high. I would guess everybody, yes. How many... <laughs> How many are sure that person is with the Lord and is there? Did that stop all your tears? Yes and no. Yeah. I did not cry when Lord died. That's wonderful. Because you were confident. Yes. Amen. N knowing where they are, knowing that Jesus is real, See, here's what I want you to see. Standing outside the tomb, she doesn't know he's risen. She doesn't know that uh, death has been broken. She doesn't know any of these truths. To her, he's dead. He's gone. And she weeps bitterly. If we don't know he's risen, if we aren't sure he's alive, if we don't believe he's conquered death, we too will weep bitterly and in agony. When someone passes. Because we haven't the confidence. Once she sees. He's alive. Once she sees the reality of this. It changes everything. And it will for us as well. Though I'm, I, I do believe. That, that weeping is, is, is normal. And I'll explain to you why here. We naturally mourn their absence. In a sense. We mourn for ourselves. Because our life has changed. 
Yet there is a profound difference between the person who grieves for someone they dearly miss and the person who grieves bitterly because they have no hope. In their mind, their loved one is gone forever. Listen to how Paul describes this difference. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I've told this before, but it's a great story. I'm going to tell it again. When my wife's uh, grandmother died, uh, my children were still small. And we were living in California, and Grandma Dora was in Wisconsin, or had been. And uh, my children really wanted to go back to, the, to her funeral. And we just, at that point, we did not have the, the, the money to do that. And it just wasn't going to happen. And I thought to myself, and, and we, had, we had tears and sobbing. I mean, this was the first death, really, that my, my children, of someone close to them, had experienced. And so they were sobbing and grieving over, over Grandma Dora. And uh, I thought, I was teaching at the Bible college. And uh, I'll just say I could not afford to go anywhere. And um, so I thought, what are we going to do? Well, right near Life Bible College in Los Angeles uh, is a, a place called Forest Lawn. Have you, have you heard of it? It's an enor enormous uh, cemetery. Uh, very famous one. And, and, and the thought came to my mind, aha. And so I said, all right, everybody, we're, we're going let, let's to, go, let's go to Forest Lawn. So we, we, I took the family and we went to Forest Lawn and, and it, was a, it was an afternoon, I recall, sunny afternoon. And we found a spot, went, drove around um, and found a spot kind of up on a hillside. And, and much, of the, much of the Forest Lawn Cemetery, they don't have headstones. They just have the plaques. And so there we were on the on kind of the west side of a hill, and these and in the pine trees and all. But below us was this long row of of, of those headstones. I mean, just I mean of the flat things. What do you call those? Anyway, whatever they are, yeah, memorials. Yeah, and you know they're shiny. And so the the sun was actually kind of shining off of them and all. And so I said, all right, now everybody, we're gonna we're I want you to see what what where where, where Grandma Dora is. And I, I took them, I, I started reading this passage. And, I, and so I said, now do you see every one of those stones? Yeah. I said, well, those are, there's, there's somebody buried under each one. You know, <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty impressive amount of bodies in front of you here. And I said, there's somebody in there. Yep, they're in all of them. And I said, uh, but here's what, here's what happens. Here's what Paul says. He says, I don't want you to be uh, uninformed about those who are asleep so that they will not, you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And I said, do we all believe that? Yes. Did Grandma Dora believe that? Yes. Even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. 
Yeah! And the sound of the trumpet. <laughs> My children are all. And I said, and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And I said, do you see all those graves? They're going to pop open. And I said, bodies are going to come shooting out. And they're going up there. And they're going to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. <laughs> and Gramador is coming up. <laughs> like that. And, uh, and then my, 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 uh, one of my daughters, is, and she says, um, and I said, let's all pray. And she said, uh, oh, Lord, she said, um, thank you that you're going to raise Gramadora. But she said, be, be careful of her, though, when she pops up. <laughs> She's old, you know. <laughs> so I don't know if the lesson fully went in. But that moment actually did break the grief. We still miss Gramadora. Man, could she cook a duck dinner? She was on a farm in Ripon, Wisconsin. And uh, we miss Gramadora. But not quite the same way. Now you miss her, then you were grieving her. One's is, one is, is, is I, I, I will see her again. The other is she's gone. Do you see the difference? It's profound. Mary went from standing outside that tomb and he was gone. To now, when, to now knowing, uh, even when he ascends, I'll see him again. It changes the nature of the way we grieve. And Paul then says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Mary Magdalene would soon learn that Jesus was alive and that he had carried her and all of those who believe in him out of the grave. Her sorrow that day would be replaced with joy. Yet I suppose that when Jesus rose into the air and disappeared behind a cloud 40 days later, there was a mixture of joy and sadness in many hearts. They were absolutely certain that Jesus was alive. And they knew where he was in heaven. And they knew he would be with them spiritually forever. But those who had been close to him would still miss him terribly. And would long for the day when they be, would be reunited with him. You see the difference? We know where he is. We don't grieve that they're, they've, they've somehow gone. But we will still miss them terribly. Some of you are, 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 are dealing with, with losses. Um, I, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, I, I, I have people that I love uh, stepping through and stepping over all the time. And it, 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 it's still hard on my heart. I know where they are. That doesn't mean I don't miss them. That doesn't mean I don't uh, wish, wish I had them with me. You understand? 
Don't we feel that way? That, that's what we're learning from Mary. Is, is, uh, I, I can grieve and, uh, because I miss them. And I have to process that. In fact, I think that grieving, to some degree, depending on, the, on, on, the, on you and on the situation, uh, can be an important part of healing. If we don't grieve, sometimes uh, we'll need to. Other, other times, God has, has just delivered us. It depends. That's the way many of us feel about those who have gone on before us. We rejoice that they are with Jesus, but we also miss them and on occasion still weep. Uh, if I think long enough about some of the family that have gone ahead of me, I, 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 can, I can weep a little bit. I still miss them. I still miss my aunt who died in 1963. I hardly wait to see her. But death isn't the only reason we weep. Many people are lonely and feel their lives have no purpose. They weep in secret and wish life would end. Which is why the message Jesus gave to Mary Magdalene is so important for those who weep like that to hear. He told her to tell his disciples that their relationship with God had dramatically changed. Because of what he had done. His father had become their father and his God had become their God. They would never be alone again. And every day would be full of purpose. Would you read that line with me? They would never be alone again and every day would be full of purpose. That is not just hype. That is the truth if we walk in this thing. I'll tell you, I, I, one person I really saw do this dramatically was my mother. My parents were divorced. My parents were separated when I was about 18 months old. And uh, for a season, my mother really grieved the loss of, of, of the, her, her husband of being alone. She and I both met the Lord in the same meeting. I mean, I'm in one place and she's in another. And both God kindly zapped us both. Um, but one of the notable changes in my mother is... And I heard her say it once. She said, I, I'm never lonely anymore. And she wasn't. Uh, she, you did not come in and find her moping. She just started talking the minute she walked in the door. <laughs> uh, she was not sad that way. She didn't mope that way. She wasn't feeling... She, she, why? why? Why would she not be alone? Jesus was with her. And she'd talk to him all the time. I find I'm wired the same way. I'm, I'm really dangerous. I mean, when everybody's gone, I'm just mouthing off. I'm just walking around. I've talked to the Lord. I've talked to myself. But I don't feel lonely because he is with me. That's a very real thing. And the second thing is purpose. Uh, I, 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 a person who does not have purpose in their life, do not, does not know why or what they're doing, if there's not a sense of actually urgency, I suppose, um, it, it, that, that's, a, that's a real grounds for grief. It's a sad thing. Um, but, but the resurrected Jesus has changed that. They will never be alone again. And every day would be full of purpose. They need, needed only to hear God's call to serve him. And accept it. For loneliness and sorrow to be replaced with people and purpose. As they stepped out to minister, they would quickly learn how much they needed to pray. 
And when they prayed, they would find that God loved them and was as committed to them as he had been with Jesus. He would dry those tears as well. The most sad and depressing thing of all is to become isolated and inward. It seems very counterintuitive, but if you're miserable, you need to drag yourself out of that and start serving somebody else. And I know how painful that is because I'm wired this way myself. I'm wired with a melancholy. And I can so pull in and want to just, you know, feel my own pain. <laughs> and the last thing you want to do when you're hurt like that is go do anything with anything, right? That's why God made me a pastor. <laughs> so often, uh, I'm feeling like that, but I got to go take care of you. And so, here I go. And it drags me out of my little cave. And it makes me tell the truth about God and care for somebody. And you know the funny byproduct of that? Melancholy and sorrow goes away. And I feel wonderful. I am so grateful. I actually think it's one of the gifts he gave me is to make me a pastor. In fact, for three years I wasn't. I taught at the Bible college, but it wasn't the same. I had to get back into pastoring. I, I need to be a pastor. I need to be in the middle of God's people. I need to be in the middle of all of that pressure, which forces me out of myself and to serve someone else because in that I find the Lord and I find the joy of God. I just say that to you. He has for every one of us. He, we will never be alone again. And we will every day. He intends to fill with purpose. Once we begin to walk that walk with him. We, 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 we're taking vitamins man. We're, we're doing our exercise. Because we've got to live as long as we can. Because so, so much depends on our lives. That's the way we're supposed to live. And, it, and it's no joke. If you and I start rising to what God has given us to do, whatever it is, you're making an eternal impact. And you become deeply grateful that you can live every day you have and serve him in any way you can. Why? Because, man, the day you step across, you're right there with Jesus. It's, you know, it's all, from then on, it's, it's just gravy. But these are the days when we change the destiny of others. These are the days when we can be healing and life and comfort to people. Firstborn. When David wrote what we call Psalm 2, I say that because I think the first three were all one. He prophetically saw the moment of Jesus' resurrection. He saw the first humans rise from the dead and become immortal. He may not have fully understood what he was seeing, but he certainly knew he would have a descendant who would sit on his throne and rule forever. Do you remember God saying that to him? Yes. Uh, he said, I will, I will raise up a son of yours, and he will, he will sit on uh, that your throne. That the th he will sit on that throne forever. And he understood that normal people don't live forever. Because sin brings death. 
It did from Genesis chapter 1 on. But God had also taught him that if someone was actually sinless, he would not allow that person to decay in the grave. Psalm 16 verse 10. You will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. So when David wrote Psalm 2, he was seeing the Messiah. In fact, in the Hebrew, he specifically calls him the Messiah. Uh, what is it? How's it? Let's see. Why do the Gentiles rage? Why are the nations in an uproar and the Gentiles devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their counsel and their rulers. Uh, no, kings of the earth take their stand and their, uh, their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, his Messiah. That's what it says. It's one of the few places where that title is actually used in the Old Testament. And so then he goes on to say, uh, the, he who sits in the heavens laughs at them. He's, and, and he will, surely he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Saying, as for me, I have set my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. There in Jerusalem, I've set Messiah in, this, in, the, in that city. And I will, I will make that the center of the earth. And then, he, and then, he's, and then this is what's said. Here, and, and here is what he heard, that special son, that future eternal king of say. Let's read it together. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. That is not the moment that Jesus was begotten in eternity kind of thing. He's talking about the resurrection. I know because Paul says so. I'll show you in a second. No, I'm not wrong on this. I'm totally right. That moment. See, when Jesus in that, in that tomb... When, that, when the power of God came over him and that body of his blasted out of that, those, those wrappings, this son was born. The first human was now immortal. The firstborn of many brethren. The first in line and the rest of us behind him. Do you follow? This was the beginning of the new family. Notice, notice the promise of the Father, the Messiah there speaks and says, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and what? The very ends of the earth as your possession. So he says to his disciples, as he's about to ascend into heaven and take his place at the right hand of the Father, uh, where all the nations will be made a footstool for his feet, he says to them, I want you to, go, I want you to take my gospel. I want you to go to Jerusalem. And to Judea and Samaria and where? The very ends of the earth because they've been given to me. It was my promise. Paul later explained that what David had seen was the moment of Jesus' resurrection. Listen. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the Father, fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children 
in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And then Paul goes on and actually develops the very thing I've just said. He goes on and says the promise was given to David that, that, that the, he will not allow the Holy One to undergo decay. And yet he says we all know David died. We got his bones right over here. And he says, so it wasn't David. Well, who, what son is it then who the grave couldn't hold? What son is it who decay could not touch his body and he would rise from it? He says, I'm here to proclaim to you Jesus Christ. He is the son of David. That's why as Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, it had already started. The miracle had begun. The first child had been born into the huge eternal family that the father had always desired. The firstborn among many brethren was standing beside her, just as he sta he's standing beside us now. When she saw him, her tears ceased, and she fell at his feet and worshipped. And when we see who he really is, we will too. Would you stand with me? At that place called Forest Lawn, there's a picture. It's a huge, enormous thing. I think it's like three stories high, and I don't know how long it is. You go in a special theater kind of thing and see it. I've got, a, I got that somewhere. I hung it up, and somebody put it away. <laughs> I like it. But it's a picture of the open tomb, and Jesus standing there in a beautiful white robe, and, and he's looking, and there behind him is what you would call the church of Jesus Christ. Going all the way back to Old Testament saints, all the way forward, there you've, you've got people from every church age, you, you know, in this enormous crowd that goes by as, back as far as the eye can see. This enormous family of people. That's what the father wanted. When Jesus rose from the dead, he, he took all who have repented and put their faith in the mercy of the living God. We who know his name, those who did not yet know his name, all those, Jesus took us out of the grave at that moment. In fact, he took the, even the unbelieving out of the grave. That doesn't mean they're saved, but he, he virtually broke death off of the human race. The, all of us come alive. Every single human comes alive because of that moment. What a wonderful truth. We need to let it sink into us. We need to believe it. We need to let it become part of our thinking. It, it comforts our grief and it gives purpose to our lives. He told Mary, he actually, if you look at the Greek, he says, I want you to go and evangelize the disciples. It does. That, 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 that you're, I'm making you a, 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 a herald. Go and proclaim to them that I have risen. Praise the Lord. Lord Jesus, would you fill our hearts with this truth? You are the beloved Son of God. You have defeated death and you have broken its power. You, have, you the Holy One, could not be held in its grip. And Lord, tonight we afresh put our faith in you. 
We join you. We, you are our Savior. We die by faith with you on that cross. We, you, you carry our sin and our, our sorrows and our sickness. You pay the price. You break it off of us. And then you, you rise from that. Death could not hold you and we're in you and we, it can't hold us either. We just proclaim our body does not stay in the grave. But we, we are with you the moment we die consciously in your presence, rejoicing with you and our loved ones. And then the moment the archangel blows that trumpet, those, we, something comes up and, and we are going to be, be resurrected in our glorious bodies. And we will live on a renewed earth forever with you. What a, what, a his, what a future you have given us. And now, Lord, you have risen and you have already begun to ascend. You are already ascended. And we ascend with you. And we are seated in heavenly places with you. And we call God our Father, even as you do. And he is our God and our resource. He, he is with us and strengthening us and, and guiding and counseling us and protecting us and providing for us even as he provided for you. He's our father and our God as he's your, your father and your God. What a gift you have given us, Lord. Thank you for the comfort. Thank you for the joy. Thank you for the hope. Thank you that we live with purpose and we're never alone again. In your mighty name we pray it. If you agree with that prayer, would you say yes, Lord? Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.